Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Welcome to the Omega Particle Podcast. I am your gracious and humble host, Jonathan Wiegand, like it just was mentioned. And good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are, turning in across the Alpha Quadrant. We welcome you to the Strange New Worlds Review. And I, I just feel like, you know, the talking heads at Paramount Plus, or as I affectionately call it, PP Plus, decide, you know, hey, it's going to be a good idea that we're going to release three episodes of Strange New Worlds within about a week and a half. So it can has completely ruined my schedule of reviewing and script writing and all this kind of setup I have. And I am forced to chug down three or four review episodes right now in a single sitting. So not to worry. I think I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to this marathon. And for you listening, if you're listening one by one, or if it's the first time listening, welcome. But we are the hardest working Trek podcast on the market today. And it's nothing that my team here can't handle. And yours truly is the Anchorman of the Federation. So we're excited to get down into the nitty gritty and strange new worlds. And I have, I'll just start off and I'll say just as a brief overview, this was probably my least favorite episode of the season, just to be upfront. It doesn't mean it was a bad season episode, it wasn't a bad writing or anything like that. It just wasn't as much fun. If I can say that, but it just didn't land for me personally. And, you know, that's okay. It had that classic original series plot line. It brought over some heavy themes that we'll get into. But to me, I just didn't hit. And you know what? That's okay. However, I completely understand why some people think it's awesome and they like it a lot. And it's a really a episode for your her to shine in. And I totally get it. Totally awesome. No problem there. And before I get into the deep dive of the review, I think it's imperative to kind of reiterate the quality of television, particularly the caliber of acting and, you know, the writing that we've had in Star Trek. Now, I know that's not always the case with like Discovery and some other Trek shows that we've had, but I would say like Prodigy has been really great. Picard season three has been really great. And I think Strange New World season two has been really great. And so I say all of that to say this is that Star Trek and all these other social um, media companies and streaming companies hinges, you know, on equitable pay and favor work conditions for the writers and, you know, the actors across all the levels. Because, and if you didn't know this, there's a massive strike going on with the Writers Guild of America and the CEOs Actors Guild. Oh, and it's like, it's called SAG-AFTRA, but I think it's just, to me, the more I've researched it, and we might put another episode out once Strange New Worlds is kind of wrapped up and kind of deep diving into the, the whole strike again, because it's just really crazy, especially, you know, with the bullying tactics that the studios are doing, they're cutting down trees, they're um, threatening AI and, and kind of giving the shaft to everybody. 
on the actor side of it and even on the writer side. So I just kind of want the fans of the franchise, you know, fans of Trek, you know, that it's going to probably have some immediate setbacks and such as hiatus, you know, in, in actor and writer interviews and reduced celebrity presence at conventions, which there are a few Trek conventions going on now. So that might actually bleed over into that and or they, they might show up and not only be able to talk about certain things, not really anything about Trek related. And, and all, of course, as you've probably seen, if you're a fan of any type of movie, you know, the adjustment to the release schedule. And that's been a big, it's going to be a big issue. So I think it's, and I, from what I've heard on the street, as they say, is that it's going to be a very long and um, arduous journey, you know, for the strikers. And so we obviously support them here and, and hope that they get everything that they are asking for and that we can get back to what we do best. And that's making awesome shows and creative content and things like that. But I just want to just point that out again. If you haven't, check it out on especially social media. You can share a story, anything like that. That's the last probably I'm going to mention about it until we get another big episode coming out after Strange New Worlds is detailing everything about the strike and all the components of it. But without further delay, Luna, let's get into our review on Lost in Translation. First off, I love the pun of this episode and to me it's a direct call back to an amazing movie the and of course luna and luna my intern everybody i'm talking about the 2003 hit with bill murray and a very young scarlett johansson movie called lost in translation if you haven't seen this movie definitely go watch it it's fantastic so i'll probably make a cover art for the episode like a pun on the the movie poster there but moving on to this strange new worlds episode i have to say it's kind of ventured a little bit into uncharted territories for Trek in general. Particularly when it comes to portraying aliens. It definitely defies the norms of what we perceive to be extra extraterrestrial beings. I mean, there's no small gray men with huge eyes, you know, kind of like third close encounters with the third kind, typical alien idea. We don't that's not really the case and frequently Star Trek has done that you know they depict aliens as vaguely humanoid and following similar folds and molds but this episode kind of took a bold departure from that and to me made me think of this movie came out a few years ago called Arrival it was kind of interesting because these aliens communicated with symbols and it was just very unlike anything we've ever seen before with science fiction so I kind of got that vibe from it, and as a result of this new way to portray aliens, it treated to a lot of people and myself like it was an interesting hour of television, and the spotlight was firmly fixed on Yuhura. She finds herself entangled in this perplexing web of hallucinations on one point and then eerie sounds, and she thinks something's going wrong in her brain and she can't figure it out, and then all the while we have this the formidable Starfleet under the guidance of Captain Pike as fleet commander, and they're going to start advancing their fleet mining capabilities. And so you kind of have this 
blend of this cosmic intrigue and personal struggle that you're her is happening and then also on the separate plot you have uh, this you have this technological innovation kind of forms the crux of this science fiction episode and it's very like i mentioned at the top of the show very original series vibes that's what i really got from it and it kind of does a great way of blending throughout the entire episode now i will have to say that cecilia rose gooding delivers just an amazing performance as Yuhura. She is it's a standout portrayal, finally gets her an episode to herself to kind of just really explore and, and do everything she needs to do with her acting chops. Awesome. She just allowed to infuse depth to the character's crises. And I mean, it's kind of ironic in a way that this communications officer is unable to effectively communicate and with everybody around her and open up. So it was Gooding did just conveys, you know, just essence of the episode, in my opinion. And and then also we have this kind of crazy scenarios with Kirk, you know, and this, well, this reality's version of Kirk, whose connection to Leanne differs, you know, significantly. Instead, he finds himself embroiled in confrontations with his brother, Sam, true to the quintessential Kirk fashion. And... What I really loved is that we really see the weight of their father's legacy over both of them, with James emboldening this idealist and Sam kind of content in his station and content in his place in life. And that was either is perfectly fine, but you can definitely see that they're both burdened by achievements and stepping into the limelight of their father's image. And then strikingly, Strange New Worlds kind of uses this episode as a subtle introduction to the main timelines version of Kirk, almost teasingly avoiding a potential grand encounter with Kirk and Leanne at some point. I mean, though it's tempting to discuss, um, imagine what they might have, but I just think it's given Leanne's inability to recount their shared experiences. I mean, the episode's pretty restrained in that between the two, Leanne and Kirk, but the regard is is good, is laudable, so you can't you can't offer that. Furthermore, what I definitely love about this episode is that Strange New World stands apart from the Abrams blockbuster. And I know what some of you might think. I know some I think there's like a terrible comment. Some guys like on the podcast saying like, "Oh, this guy loves the Abrams Trek." And I'm like, "That's further from the truth." actually don't like them at all presenting so i definitely like that this presents a departure that complements the evolving trek universe especially you know what makes this work so well as opposed to abram's trek is that the series possesses such a youthful energy you know this ambition driving leadership this undeniable ego i think it's really done well especially with wesley's performance as Kirk and you know Ethan Peck's performance as Spock and Gooding's performance as Uhura I know and a lot of people may say like especially with Kirk's portrayal it might be a little cheesy but that's kind of the exact cheese that this the original series thrived on you know is had this layer of charm and then a layer of, like mixed with authenticity mixed with some cheese you know so it's really okay like I think it works very well and that's very difficult to do, particularly 
for a fan base that's kind of been overwhelmed with pre-Kirk and Captain Enterprise scenarios. I will say this, that it was a very cool and thoughtful way of crafting Kirk's initial meeting with Spock and choosing, you know, this low-key chess game over this big, grand spectacle that was shaping the universe. It was just, you know, very calm, just unique chess game. That was it. And to me, proves just the uniqueness of Strange New World, to proves the thoughtfulness of it is that it doesn't always have to be over-the-top, crazy mind games. You know, it can just be a little bit realistic. You know, these two people didn't know who they were going to become. They're just, like, playing a low-key chess game. So, there you go. Um, Yeah, I'm just really happy that... And I knew this was going to happen at some point, but to me, I was just happy that it's just such a divergent from the... 2009 reboot because this is the right way to evolve the Star Trek series in my opinion and I'm finally glad that we're here and and speaking of remarkable performances we we really can't say that without mentioning Wesley's dedication to this role and in every episode he's in it's one of the best performances of that episode so you really can't give him any flack for that it's become just a great delight you know for him to be in the episodes and kind of be sprinkled in through there and i think that's always something and we can i mean if you disagree with me please debate that's what we're here for please reach out on social media and be like jonathan you are full of it this kirk is terrible he's nothing but cheese and a womanizer (laughs) getting back to the episode as a whole i think lost in translation to me carries this a powerful message centered on the importance of just active listening, you know, and empathy. And that's really a message we need to hear in today's day and time. And we'll definitely get into that later on in the episode. But one an example of this is Pike's willingness to shoulder the blame for Yuhura's actions, should anything go awry. He's like, I'll take the heat, you know, and that's what good leadership does. It allows the people under their command to be able to be free to make mistakes and try new things and that's awesome of pike to do that and i think speaking of pike this is an ingenious and canon compliant approach of having kirk and pike meet when technically pike was a fleet commander it's just a subtle touch by the writers and by the showrunners because it just profoundly enriches the narrative showcasing the show's attention to detail So if you didn't know, back in the original series, Pike and Kirk first met when Pike was a fleet commander. And as as you all know, Pike is not normally a fleet commander on the week-to-week, but extenuating circumstances, he is this week. So the first time that Kirk and Pike meet, he is a fleet commander. So it's just little like tips of the hat and touches that make you think, okay, the writers are paying attention. They're not just trying to do a nine-to-five job and push this out moreover i think what adds so much depth to this episode is that kirk and yuhura kind of add a little bit more of emotional growth in both of the people and that's something that is very difficult to do and something we don't see too often i think um positioning this episode as an epilogue to explore hemar's death 
serves as kind of a reflection, you know, on Yuhura's character development. It highlights her strength and her resilience and kind of just exemplifies the growth that she has undergone. And this B-plot further explores the complexities of the characters' personalities with Yuhura, I'm sorry, with Una and Pela kind of engaging clashes over their differences. You know, Una is perplexed by Pela's lack of progress, you know, despite that she's thousands of years old and is just kind of perplexed that Pela's content with who she is as an individual. She's completely okay with who she is and, and accepting of that. And this dynamic brings out the best in the both characters and effectively supplements the main plot where understanding the aliens hinges on active listening, a theme seamlessly intertwined with the early versions of the characters depicted in the series. And I think this thoughtful exploration of these foundational character traits reminds viewers that this show presents early renditions of these beloved characters. I mean, and I think they integrating elements of their personalities and experience that will ultimately shape their future selves. And this attention and continuity and character evolution adds to the show's, I think, authenticity and just makes it endearing to Star Trek fans of all ages and of, you know, all people. (laughs) Though the skillful weaving of the main and the B-plots, Lost in Translation overall masterly emphasizes the significance of empathy, understanding, and active listening and is a powerful reminder of the potential strength that lies with interpersonal connections and mutual respect. So like all great sci-fi and science fiction, I've said this on the podcast a million times, is that that sometimes Star Trek has real-world commentary mixed in with it. And this idea of a strange signal, you know, (laughs) that drives those who consume it insane is a powerful resonance in the context of modern culture, modern pop culture, social media, particularly in a, a show set in 200, 300 years in the future. And I know a lot of people say, well, Star Trek shouldn't be comp- like complimenting or commentary on real world. And it's just like, you know, Star Trek has always existed in that conversation and whether it be, you know, the race or the Vietnam War or gay marriage or anything or gay relations, it's just the allegories have always been there. And in Lost's translation is no exception. It's actually, it's not very subtle. It recalls to me, there are, what I got from the episode is that there are plenty of, you know, news stories and news channels and social media is that we're completely bombarded and you hear from all the time about how like if you consume these things all the time it makes you more aggressive makes you more depressed makes you more irrational makes you more belligerent kind of warps your sense of reality and it makes you hard to communicate with aha makes you hard to share ideas with aha so that is where the connection to me where lost in translation could you know, be a bridge to the real world because there are moments in Lost in Translation that are very on the nose. So you're hurt, like for example, so you're has a revelation about what what's happening 
when she plays back a recording of Lieutenant Hammer. And she's talking about how strong charge can burn out the receiver. And that's very true in real life. And the issue ultimately in the episode comes down to one of miscommunication. And Yuhura figures out that the signal's coming from living organisms inside the nebula. And when, when I watched this episode, it immediately made me think of the, you know, the Voyager trope that, um, I think, what were the episodes, Luna? Uh, the Cloud and Bliss kind of has this expected trope on Star Trek shows. That, you know, there's something alive in that nebula besides coffee. So it turns out, you know, the whole problem in this episode is is not listening and then it can be solved by simply listening. And the closing scene, you know, Kirk muses that all it took was a good listener. So I think that's a, to me, I think that's a good real life commentary on this, on the times, you know, and what we consume and how it affects our, our personalities and our mental health. And, you know, it's always important to listen and to be a good listener. Side note, so listen to this. Somebody pointed out this episode detail to me. And I was like, I have to mention it on the review. And I don't want to let this go. So we know Captain Pike monologues about the importance of, you know, this refinery. That it's just not a gas station, Lieutenant. I think he told that to Ortega. And it's he's right on the edge of the frontier. It, it unlocks half the quadrant. It'll be a jumping off point for the next great age of exploration. But Spock mentioned a line here. And he was a little bit more cynical because he said that he was assuming Starfleet's building this because of the nebulous proximity to Gorn's space. So Strange New Worlds is struggling to you know, reconcile the contradiction between the fantasy of Starfleet and the, this idealistic ideology is that, you know, a million species, million limitless diversity or whatever the saying is, Luna. They're struggling with that and then also Starfleet being this organization that is a military power and protecting the Quadrant. And this is definitely apparent with the Gorn. And these are eventual themes that we'll get into in Deep Space Nine. But I think in... in after this interaction and hearing this from Spock, Pike is conceded to say, you know, you're right. He said, sadly, you're right. He tell, Like he told Spock, the presence is growing from the Gorn and this will help us counter it. So it's kind of a pointed statement, you know, and lost in translation that Pike destroying the refinery and implicitly rejecting its purpose to keep the Gorn in check as a counter their, to their expansion. Um... To me, it's just kind of interesting to see the dynamic between the two finally coming out a little bit because that's something that it, it is almost like a military power in some ways as the Federation grows, but it's still keeping that spirit of exploration really difficult to see. However, I will say really quick before we end the, the review and we get on to the Easter eggs, is that I loved how Lost in Translation kind of chose to respect Hammer's death. You know, it, it didn't decide to resurrect him, you know, in the same way Discovery decided to resurrect their doctor. That was just so bad. I'm sorry. It's completely taken me out of it. I just, that was just, I'm not a big fan of Discovery. And I think 
casual listener will know that, but I definitely think that leaving Hemmer's death alone and just letting the crew continue to to grieve, I think was a smart way. And thematically, I would say a large part of Lost in Translation is and it's about the idea of having to move on from a loss and accepting the inevitability of change. You know, change is always going to be there. So let me know your thoughts on this. Do you think, you know, it's a simple original TOS story or is there something more? Again, it didn't really land for me this week, but that's okay. So let me know. Reach out to me on social media. I'd love to hear from you guys. And so moving on to our Easter eggs, we only have a few for you today. But very curious here. So, like I said in earlier in the episode, so we have Sam and Jim Kirk reunite in this episode, which is the first times on Strange New Worlds we've seen them on screen together. And it's also the first time we've only seen them both alive and canon on screen together, because Sam's only appearance in the original series was that of a dead body. That was it. So, here, Sam, you know, is complaining that Kirk is showing off because. He's become the youngest first officer in history, and previously that record was held by his dad, first officer of the Kelvin. Yes, it's a stupid reference to the J.J. Abrams Trek movie, but what can you do? But notice in this universe, the Kirk boys refer to their father in the present tense. That's because George Samuel Kirk Sr. is alive in this timeline, and we'll keep it that way. So while the Kelvin timeline was specifically created for you know, the first J.J. Abrams movies, the idea is that what we kind of see at the beginning of that reboot film is the prime timeline in 2233. So that timeline was altered when the Kelvin was destroyed and Kirk was born quote-unquote early in space instead of in Iowa. Though although the Kelvin established the Kelvin-verse or the Abrams-verse, it also exists in regular canon too. And in theory... Somebody playing an older George Kirk Sr. could guest star in Strange New World someday. Like Chris Hemsworth, which if you didn't know, in the 2009 film Star Trek, that is actually how he got his audition for Thor. They saw his his work as George, and they're like, we gotta bring this guy on. And another Easter egg is Yahura's family shuttlecraft. So... The final vision Yohura sees from the Nebula aliens is that from the shuttle crash that killed her family. And this was mentioned back in Season 1, Episode 2, Children of the Comet. But here we see the actual shuttle wreckage. This event, retroactively, has defined Yohura's backstory, not just in Strange New Worlds, but in all of Trek canon as well. So we finally get to see that shuttle crash in this episode. But the biggest Easter egg of them all, and we mentioned it a little bit before, is that Kirk and Spock meet for the first time. At the end of the episode, as Yohura and Kirk are hanging out in this bar, Spock joins them. And it's just, to me, it's just finally, you know, we're in the the normal timeline because, you know, Paul Wesley and Ethan Peck have been on screen together twice already in Stranger Worlds. But both times, their characters were in alternate timelines. So this one finally stuck. We're here. So, I mean, if you don't remember in season one finale, Quality of Mercy, Kirk and Spock are in the altered timeline and when Pike is in command of the Enterprise during the events of Balance of Terror. And then in the recent season two episode, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, whatever it was. How many tomorrows? Three, Luna? Okay. Three tomorrows. Kirk speaks to the version of Spock, who is a captain of the Vulcan fleet. 
but Lost in Translation marks the actual first time Kirk and Spot meet in the Prime timeline. And this meeting has never been depicted on screen before, although there's been some non-canon novels, notably um, McIntyre's Enterprise, The First Adventure, did depict Kirk, Kirk, and Spock all meeting for the first time. But that story is nothing like the story from Strange New Worlds. Then again, we get Yuhura's first name, Noyota, from the Star Trek novels. So who knows? We might get something here too. First name maybe one day. And Star Trek canon is always in flux. And it's just, yeah. And clearly, when it comes to filling in new pieces of information with the backstories of the classic characters and the classic crew, Strange New Worlds is just getting started. Okay, that has been our entire review episode of Lost in Translation with our Easter egg. So thank you all so much for listening. And Luna, let's light this candle. Oh boy. So that was an intense episode and I'm kind of glad that we have the fun, finally, Strange New Worlds Lower Decks crossover on their next review. That's amazing. Episode 7 of Season 2 is, I think it's called The Old Scientist, so I'm super pumped to cover that. That's the episode we've all been waiting for, or I know I've personally been waiting for since they announced it probably a year or so ago. Really curious how it's going to turn out, so hopefully it'll be great. But again, thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, please reach out to us on social media, on Instagram, on, you know, Facebook, Twitter, or is it X now? Gosh, what is X? Who cares? I'm, pro- I'm more on Instagram more these days now. But anyway, guys, so please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Helps us out. Helps out the podcast. Remember, guys, in this, we talked about it a little bit in this episode communicate, be a good listener, and as always, second star of the right, straight on till morning. <laughs>